They really are delicious, by the way. They even have chocolate vitamins now. How crazy is that? Well, good morning. How many of you got flooded this morning? Felt like we were going to be coming out your door and seeing elephants and kangaroosies, roosies coming out by twosies, twosies. I'm thankful that it's calmed down now. Um, it was just the perfect time when I was leaving out the church door and, and thinking, how am I going to keep this beautiful, you know, looking this together? But welcome to our time together this morning and our time where we get to study God's Word and, and discuss it. And, um, you know, I started thinking about what we were going to talk about today and praying about it. And, and uh, I started thinking about whenever I would sit in the audience and I would listen to different pastors. And, and, and you know, I'm, I know I'm not an, an older or familiar person, but I, I've sat through quite a few different styles of preaching, uh, different um, methods of preaching, and hearing different pastors. And um, it's always interesting when I think about what are the expectations people are going to have. Whether you've been here a while, some of you are like, well, I know he's going to say this. I know he's going to go through the four questions of Bible study. He's going to say a lot of things about specific, specific, specific. Um, but I wonder what are the expectations people have whenever they come to church. And most of your faces are, are pretty familiar. That We may have some new people here today, and welcome. We're glad that you're here. Um, but most of you have come to know how I teach, how I share. But I've often wondered what the expectations are for most people whenever they go to a sermon, whenever they go to a church. Um, I think whenever I was a kid, and some of you are like, you're still a kid, but <clears throat> whenever I was quite young and I actually had to sit through church, um, not whenever I was a kid and my grandfather who was a deacon had that claw on my shoulder, you know, the, the grandpa claw that holds you down to your seat, but whenever I you know, had to be in church because it was big church and you were old enough and age appropriate for you to be able to sit through that and stay awake, hopefully, you heard that, hopefully. But I often had different expectations depending on where I was at and who was preaching. And in my home church, I, I love my home church. I, that's where the kids I grew up with, the teenagers I grew up with, the families, they all knew my family. They knew my great-grandmother and my cousins and, you know, you're so-and-so's boy. But I remember the expectation whenever I would walk in that, that I knew that there was going to be a lot of yelling at some point. Uh, there was going to be something about hell. I, I automatically knew that was going to be in there. Um, and some kind of rant about culture or politics that was just really irking the pastor at the time. Something that was really just messed up a kind of a us versus them mentality. And um, I would hate to say that, I would love to say that was the only church I've ever experienced that at. But I've seen it before many, many times. And today, it's going to be one of those days. I'm going to share with you about what irks me. I'm going to share and use this time to tell you what annoys the heck out of me. I am sick of being sick. I am sick of being sick. That's what annoys me. Now, I'm not going to go off on a rant about culture or politics or us versus them, but I am sick of being sick. Um, some of you know, and you know, Frank says that he hears me going down the hallway sometimes because I'm coughing, all of these allergies. How many of you just love allergies? You're like, oh, I just love having a stuffy nose. I love waking up with puffy eyes. I love the sore throat. None of us like that, right? It's irritating. It's annoying. And it makes us sick dealing with everything from runny noses to blocked noses, from deep coughs to just slight tickling throats, 
from red eyes to lack of sleep and just feeling like you're broken. I hate that. So congratulations, you're hearing my rant. I'm sick of being sick. And whenever I'm sick, there's something that always happens. I get desperate. I get desperate looking for remedy. I mean, I'll search and I'll listen to almost everything. My wife is also in that whole sick of me being sick kind of thing. Because uh, whenever I cough, I wake her up in the middle of the night and I wake the baby up and that's never good. But I, I see my desperation whenever I'm sick because I'll start visiting all kinds of pharmacies. I'll go from Rite Aid to Walgreens or wherever. I start looking over boxes of cold medicine, seeing what's in it, what kind of things that I can't spell or pronounce. Um, I start with my red eyes bugging out over the prices of all these different medicines. I even research the web, like, okay, I'm feeling this kind of sickness. What am I going through? WebMD makes me freak out because it makes me think I'm really, really in a terrible shape. Sometimes I make doctor's appointments. Most of the time I don't because I don't like going to the doctor. But what I sense is desperation, desperation, desperation. Because I'm sick of being sick, I want to find the quickest remedy I can. And I won't even lie. Because, you know, that would be a bad thing. You know, lying's a sin. I've even thought about grandma's cough syrup. And some of you are laughing because you're like, I know what grandma's cough syrup is. See, I tell you what. But I didn't go that far this year. But here's what I find to be the most problematic is that I don't act until I'm symptomatic. I find the thing that's the most problematic is I don't act until I'm symptomatic. My wife is a nurse. She's also a mom. So she's got like that a whole double plan kind of thing going on. I mean, she'll stock our cabinets with medicines of different types for different ages. And, and she has like a little measuring chart on the, on the wall for our kids' medicines, like what kind of medicine we can give them when they have a fever or a cold or that kind of thing. But I take for granted the need for the remedy until I'm just desperate, until I'm sick. And it's, it's already too far into it by that time to even take the medicine. But I'm looking, and I'm so desperate for a minute medicine because I'm sick of being sick. And I need a remedy to deal with my symptoms. I need a remedy to deal with my disease, my problem. And so you know that this is not a whole sermon on colds or allergies or pharmacies. How does this translate to our lives today as those that are called themselves disciples of Christ and as those that are seeking answers about Christ to see if they want to believe Him, if they want to trust Him? Well, here's where I feel and believe is our direction today. It is my conviction that in a world that loudly displays the symptoms of brokenness and pain and lostness, that in that sickness there needs to be a remedy. There needs to be one. And when I see what the Scripture provides for the remedy, I have to ask myself, do I take for granted the greatest of all remedies? Do I take for granted the fact that I desperately need Jesus? That not just saved people need Him, but unsaved people need Him. And not just unsaved people need Him, but saved people need Him. Do I take that for granted and only go to Him in desperation when it looks like there's all kinds of problems? Or do I remember that He's my remedy for every single day? Because if he's not the remedy, that we can chase for all other kinds of remedies to, to ease the pain of our brokenness, to, to deal with those symptoms of our problems. 
These are some of the things that people choose to pursue and, and to fix their spiritual brokenness. They'll start looking at other places. They'll look for the right person. If I can just have the right person near me, I'll be great. And this is not just girls. This is also guys. I've seen this in both ways. I've seen girls that can't go three minutes without a boyfriend because they just feel like that they're, they're totally empty without someone next to them. I've seen guys in the same situation, except they're looking for a girlfriend, generally. I've seen people that are looking for the right program. If I can just find the right program, I and mean, I've also seen churches do that too. I've seen churches think if we get just the right preacher, everything's going to be fixed. And I've seen them look for the right program too. If we just have the right program, everything will be gone. Everything will be great. If we have just the right plan, if we have just the right politician, if we have just the right position in our job, if we have just the right possessions in our car or in our home, if we have just the right place to live or to, or to make our acquaintances, if we have just the right pleasures in our life, these are all remedies that we try to chase to fix our spiritual brokenness, but all of them fail. And the Scripture declares that, that we are all a part of a lost and broken world that needs the remedy of the Gospel. See, Charles Spurgeon once said this, and speaking of the need for our remedy for Christ, he says, I have a great need for Christ, but thankfully I have a great Christ for my need. I have a great Christ for my need, and, and we need to look at that today. Now, before this begins to sound old-fashioned or, or even overly simplistic, and it falls in line with everything else we kind of did today, and going back and stepping back into an old-fashioned setting, I want to make a case for why we need this greatest of all remedies. And I'm going to do this actually using something you may consider old-fashioned, but it's what we're here to study today. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word? We're going to be in the book of Romans today, chapter 1. Now, the book of Romans is a letter written by Paul to the church at Rome. And I believe it makes a case for our need today as much as it did back then. Chapter 1, verses 16 through 25 is what it says. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard. You can follow along in whatever copy of God's Word that you have. Um, and I think we're actually going to have all the words on the screen. These are the, about the only words we're going to do on the screen today. It says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God has made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is forever blessed. Amen. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, use your word as only you can today. I just pray that you would hide me behind the shadow of your cross, that you would speak to me through me from your Holy Spirit, and that God, all of us, would leave here differently than we walked in because we've been equipped by your presence, we've been moved by your power, and we've been called according to your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, this is a letter that was written by Paul. We've got to look at some context before we go any further because, once again, if we try to just read the Word in, in our context of today, we could have all kinds of skewed uh, misconceptions and misperceptions that would come up. And uh, so we need to look at what's going on here. This letter was written by Paul to the church at Rome. Now, many of the letters that, that Paul wrote were left for us and preserved for us through the ages so that we would have instructions as churches, as believers, um, in how to live in faithfulness and holiness to God. And many of the letters that Paul wrote, he wrote them to churches he founded, churches that he was the apostle on the scene carrying the name of Jesus to places where it had never been mentioned before and establishing churches where churches were, were never placed before. And he would be writing to them as, as kind of follow-up. This is the reports I've heard from you. He would write to them and follow-up and help equip them for holiness and faithfulness. But the church at Rome, it's a different type of letter because Paul never founded the church at Rome. He was going to be going to Rome uh, in a different circumstance than he ex- expected when he wrote this letter. But it was written around 57 A.D., and Paul was hoping to carry the gospel to Spain. I mean, talk about far-reaching. In that day and age, that was like the, uh, the ends of the earth. Nobody knew about the new world at this time. And so Paul was planning on going to Spain, but he wanted to stop and get provisions and meet the church in Rome and, and to help you know, mutually benefit from each other. But he's writing to them, and, and, and what you read this letter, it kind of sounds like an us versus them, but Paul is actually making the case for why our greatest need is the remedy that is the great gospel. And so when we look at the context, we've got to ask some things. What does the Scripture specifically say? Not just, well, we think it says this, because there's a lot of people that think the Bible says certain things, but you've got to look specifically and say what it says, because the Bible was written in a specific place, at a specific time, in a specific language, for a specific circumstance, to accomplish a specific reason. And so, I did that really slow this time, so it wasn't like all tongue-tangled. But we need to see what these things are. But then we need to ask, once we read it, what impact or info does it give specifically in its specific time and place? What is happening then, and what can I see happening then, not just trying to translate it automatically to me now? After we do that, then we start saying, okay, if that's what happens in that specific time and place, how does it relate to my life today? Taking exactly what happened then and replacing it to the exact circumstance of our life. And then lastly, how we respond to such a revelation. And my purpose today is to expound and sort through this text to help you, whether you are a believer, a faithful disciple, or you're just looking for answers about this God that we, we proclaim. My whole goal is to help share with you so that you'll make a faithful and reasoned response. Why? Because that's what God wants you to do. It's not just because what this pastor wants you to do or because this church wants you to do that or because the denomination wants you to do that. That's what God wants you to do. In the book of Isaiah, God says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. For though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. In other words, God wants you to respond to Him. And He wants you to look through the facts of who He is, what He does, what He says, and to see that He can be trusted. 
In other words, the Word of God shares the heart and the intent of the God of the Word. It shows who He is. But it also reveals to us that there is, in our world, a brokenness, an epidemic, a sickness. And it's not us versus them. It's something that we still need. But it reveals to us there's a God in the middle of this sickness, in the middle of this epidemic, in the middle of our brokenness, there's a God who willingly shares that, yes, there is a remedy, and yes, I willingly provide it. Yes, I want you to have it. And the Scriptures, they may sound like something old-fashioned to those of us, though that they're in this building that are checking out God or church or the Bible for the first time. Um, and sometimes, even if you've been in church for a long time, you may think, all right, another sermon, another passage from the Bible, the Brother Jerome's going to say these same things over and over again. But really, when we look closely at these writings that may seem old-fashioned, these writings were written just short of 2,000 years ago. That's a long time, right? That's a long time. I don't care how, who you are. You may think I'm young, but 2,000 years, that's a long time. But if you look closely at what's going on, what Paul is making the case for 2,000 years ago, you would almost think that Paul is writing to our time, to our place, to our situation. I mean, the, the correlations are very, very great when we think about time, place, society, culture, and the situation today. But in it, in these Scriptures, you also see very, very beautiful things among the very, very broken things. When I think about the signs of brokenness, just like when we're sick and we have symptoms, runny eyes, I mean runny nose, blocked nasals, coughing, hacking, tickling throats, red eyes, not wanting to be able to get up, all those are symptoms of something internally going on. It's just what's internally being expressed externally. When we think about that, when I think about what's going on internally in our world, and sometimes even in our churches, Let's break it down even closer, sometimes in our own individual lives. What we see expressed externally, externally is revealing the problem that's internally. And this is what Paul says he sees of these external symptoms that really present the internal root of the problem. He says, I see wrath receiving. I see truth suppressing. I see evidence rejecting i see excuse giving i see foolish living and i see false worshiping all of these are the symptoms of the great problem the great need for a remedy and how are these things changed and when i think about it if this is the case of what brokenness and the symptoms of lostness of our world in need, what it looks like, what does it mean for us as a church? Instead of having an us versus them mentality, what does it actually mean if we're looking at us to have the healing remedy of grace, to have the gospel in its full effect in our life? What does it mean to be the portrait of a found person? When we've heard the songs, it's probably one of your favorites. The line, I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. But when I think about it, I love singing that song. It means so much to me. But if I'm praying and being honest with God, what does this really look like in my life? What does this look like collectively as Eastgate? What does this look like as a denomination? 
What does this look like as a church as a whole? Well, when I think about it, some of us may get convicted and think about our past or things we're going through. We have a lot of pain there. And I've got to be honest, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about something in your past, whether it's the most tragic thing or something you may not think is very big, but it still affects you. Look, I've done things in my past. I can't change that. It's, it's a part of who I am. But when I think about this grace, this remedy, it reminds me, I cannot change who I was. But by His grace, He can change who I am. When I think about it, I can't change what I've done. And I've done some awful things. If I were to list it off, I mean, I've shared my testimony before. It doesn't really make a case for being a good preacher. It just really doesn't. But I cannot change what I've done. But by His grace, He can change what I do. I cannot change where I started. But by His grace, He's changed where I finish. And so the remedy, what we see is it brings a cure. And it doesn't change just something in the future. It starts changing us now, today, where we are. From the moment that we receive Christ until the moment we step into eternity. It changes us through and through. Just like medicine does when we have allergies. It's the great remedy. And so today, because I felt like that we don't have time to actually go through every single one of these details, we're just going to look at one of these aspects. Just one today. What does it mean to find the remedy from the brokenness of being a wrath receiver to being the healing of the wrath removed? What does that look like? Well, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that today. And so, as we think about this, wrath removed versus wrath received. The Scripture says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Now, I want you to notice this. It says the effects and the consequences of both ungodliness and unrighteousness. Those are two different things, and yet they're also the same thing. Ungodliness means we don't look like one that created us. And unrighteousness means we don't live rightly like the one who created us. They both tie in, and they're also separate. So it gets us out of both in, in whole little areas where we say, well, yeah, I'm not like God. He's perfect. And, but God knows the intent of my heart. No, He says, you're not like Him and you're also not living or having a heart like His. Both of those. And it says the effects and consequences of this are being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. What does that mean, revealed from heaven? Well, uh, one of the things... Uh, broken things do what broken things do. They keep being broke. Broken things do what broken things do. They keep being broke. Until someone provides a remedy, until someone fixes something, until something gets healed, broken things will always be broken. They don't just automatically come back together of their own volition. How many times have you, has your car ever broken down or you had a major malfunction and it just automatically healed itself? Man, that would be great. That would be amazing. But it don't happen. You have to take it to someone who can provide the remedy, the expertise. How many times, well, you may have said, well, the cold passed or the allergies passed, but really you had to take some medicine for it to go away whenever you were sick. Have you ever been sick and just, it just kind of went away? No. I don't think it's ever happened to me that way. 
Either I had to do something and take something, or my body made me do something to get rid of it. If I've had food poisoning, yeah, your body don't take that. It's going to make sure it does everything possible to get what's wrong out of the way before you can be right. And so, this wrath that's revealed from heaven is letting us know that if all we're doing is broken things, and all we're chasing is broken things, then everything's always going to be broken. We're going to see the effects of that brokenness. We're going to see it through poverty, through disease, through violence, through hate, through prejudice. We're going to see all those things. And it's always going to be in front of our eyes. And we'll begin wondering, what, can, what good can become of this? Because it's broken. And God's consequences for that brokenness and living in that brokenness, living in that ungodliness and unrighteousness is going to be revealed. Secondly, it's revealed from heaven because God has given us His Word and let us know what the ultimate end of that brokenness is. If you can continue in brokenness, there is an ultimate end. There's an ultimate demise. There's an ultimate destruction that will happen. There's an ultimate wrath to be revealed. So it's not just waiting for us in the future. It's before our eyes today, but it's also something that is waiting for us in the future. One of the things I see what Paul writes, though, being led by the Holy Spirit, he says, against all ungodliness. That's a big word for three little letters. Think about it. Three little letters, but it means so much. All. Remember that whole thing of the us versus them? Where we kind of put ourselves on a pedestal, like, well, I'm a, I'm a little bit better than that. There's no partiality with God. There's none. All ungodliness, all unrighteousness will have His wrath revealed upon it. There are no exceptions. There are no loopholes. There are no positions that make you beyond that. Aside from His grace. Aside from the remedy. But when I think about this all word, that means to me that God is not somehow passive. It's not that God just kind of looks over and be like, that's not really a big deal or that's not as big as so-and-so over here. It doesn't mean that God is complacent and, and not really going to act on these things. It means that God is the active judge that He says He is. He is as much the righteous judge as He is the redeeming Savior. They're not exclusive from one another. He's fully both. But what does He do? How does He act to make this right for us? How does He provide the remedy? Well, if you ever read Isaiah 52 and 53, we see the promise of a suffering servant, a, a, a Messiah that would come, and by His stripes we would be healed. He would have the wrath of God poured out on Him so that the righteousness of God would be poured out on us. Think about how big that is, that remedy. We don't need to ever lose sight of that as a church to make us feel like we're, we're better than someone else. It just means that God took what we deserved and He placed it on Jesus in our place. Puts to new light 2 Corinthians 5.21 saying He, He being God, made Him being Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. See, we're all wrath receivers, but for those that have taking in the big picture, the beautiful gift of grace, we get transferred from being wrath receivers to the, those that have wrath removed. 
That's what the remedy does. That's how it heals the brokenness. This is the great news of the Gospel that Jesus is both the Redeemer that was willing to pay the price and He's the remedy, the one that heals. Grace that was made powerfully and personally available but at an incredible price. When we think about this around Easter, but the, tr- the truth is, is that His grace is available in immense ways. And it's made available in such a simple, simple choice of faith, a simple response to believe that He is all that He says He is, to believe that He will do all that He says He will do. John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. That's a whole big thing different from wrath. Has eternal life. But, and this is where the choice comes in, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life. For the wrath of God abides on him. That's pretty huge. Once again, this is not just, oh, one day when you die, you're going to have the wrath of God poured out. No, it abides on you now until you have gotten the remedy of Jesus. One of the greatest questions of life that is asked by many different theologies and religions and philosophies and practices and studies is what happens when we die? Well, when you think about all the studies, there's a bunch of them. There's definitely a bunch of worldviews out there. There's a bunch of philosophies trying to answer that question. But really, when it comes down to it, if you broke it down into simple terms, it's really about three avenues. You say, three? I've only heard there's two, preacher, in church. Are you, you sure? There's about three avenues if you take all the other worldviews. Let's put it that way. And these are annihilation and extinction. In other words, you become worm food. You die, that's it. There are worldviews and practices that believe that. You only had this life to live, make the most of it. You only live once, because when you're dead, you're dead. You're worm food. Nothing beyond. That's a worldview. The other worldview would be the one of reincarnation. Where you're going to come back as something, whether that's a ghost, or an ethereal energy in the earth. I'm not trying to make fun of people. I'm really not. Or you become a little bitty cricket to a big cow. Hopefully you're not living in America if that happens. <clears throat> or you become another being. That's a possibility that's taught in many theologies and worldviews and philosophies. The Scripture presents this one, though. There is the worldview that believes in extinction. There's the worldview that believes in reincarnation. But the Scripture points to the worldview of resurrection. And in that, it gives two clear avenues for resurrection. That when you die, you're raised to eternal life in heaven or eternal death in hell. One of two places. One, the view of hell. And this is not a preacher's view. This is a biblical view. The place where wrath has been reserved for you and the place where wrath will be fully received. No, it's not the place where the party's at. And the second place is that of heaven. It's where the place where the wrath that was once reserved for you has been completely removed by Jesus. 
And now you live in a place where there's no evidence of wrath ever. That's where the party's at. That's where the enjoyable place is. When I think about the fact that there is a place, a biblical place, a real place, where people that have the wrath of God abiding on them and also reserved for them, a place where my friends, some of my family, people in my community, people in our community, are going to hell. A place where the King James Bible would probably refer to this as eternal damnation. That's a biblical word, by the way. That's why we shouldn't use it lightly with profanity. It breaks my heart, though, to think about that. It actually moves me to actually want to have a conversation with people. Not just hand them a piece of paper flippantly. While you should use your true life card to personally invite someone to church to begin a conversation, it shouldn't be the end all. You should have a desire for those that you know are lost, those that are going to spend an eternity after death in a place where wrath has been fully reserved for them and that they will fully receive it. It should move us to want to pray for that person, to talk to that person, to share with that person. Another famous quote from Charles Spurgeon, I've shared this in our Wednesday night prayer group, and I'm going to put it ahead of time because you're going to be concerned. There's a word in there that you may not like. But this is one of his most famous quotes when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to witnessing to the lost, when it comes to the idea that there are people that are going to die and spend eternity in hell. It says this, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let no one go unwarned. Let no one go there unprayed for. Do we have that kind of view when we think about the the need for the remedy, the need for the gospel in our world that we just we're willing to lay ourselves down fully, humbly to pray for a person, to share with a person, to love a person, not to think, well, they deserve it because you know what? We deserve it. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to honestly open up my heart, my mouth to share. Do I have that kind of conviction? Am I so sick of the sickness that I'm desperate for the remedy to get to somebody as much as I'm thankful for the remedy to get to me? Man, aren't you glad that the remedy got to you? I am absolutely thankful that my grandparents lived out an honest faith in front of me. I'm thankful that my parents made me go to church. I'm thankful for that. Not because I turned out to be a good guy, but because Jesus saved my life. And the gospel was made known to me. And the gospel was lived out in front of me. I'm thankful for some college students that my freshman year, when everybody else was kind of like, let's experiment and try all different things because we're not under the eyes of our parents and our churches anymore, they were willing to say, no, I'm going to humbly submit my life to Jesus and be passionate about following Him. Because you know what? That was amazing to me because I saw a whole wide path going the other direction and just very, very few saying, you know what, Jesus means more to me than just 30 minutes on Sunday. And it grew a passion in me seeing the Holy Spirit's work in their life. The Holy Spirit drove me to my knees. And while I don't live like this every single day, there's a hope in me, there's a warning when I read the Scriptures. To let the remedy be known. To 
Because there is a place where wrath has been reserved for sinners, for the broken, for the lost, and it will be received. That is not just one pastor's opinion. That is the biblical precedence of the righteous judge. The Bible makes it clear that this Gospel that may seem oversimplistic, may seem like just an old-fashioned remedy, may seem like a tired method, is not that. I am not ashamed of the Gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. It's the greatest remedy for our greatest need. And how did that come to us? How did we become people that were translated from our brokenness and our lostness to being those that were wrath receivers to now the wrath removed? Jesus took my place. Not only does He want the Gospel to get into my ears and my heart, He took the place. I think of, when I think about this, this is not anywhere near the level of Jesus in, in any means. But I think of people willing to put themselves in the place of harm. I think about the guy that came up with a polio vaccine. Who was a believer, by the way. His name is Jonas Salk. And, and when it came to the point of trying this and putting these trials on humanity, you know what he did? He injected himself. Now that's not very wise and it's not very well recommended and it's not FDA approved at all. But he was willing to take that brutal punishment to see if it worked, to see if it would kill him so that others may be saved from such a terrible, terrible disease that I'm thankful we don't see the plight of today. But when I think about what Jesus says, what Jesus did to bring this Gospel, to take me from a place of wrath receiving to wrath removed, there's hope in this. There's beauty in this. There's something to celebrate in this that, that opens me up to a newfound worship. As Paul would write in Philippians, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and consolation, then make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose, and do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. And do not merely look on for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And here's where it goes. Good. Have this attitude in yourselves which was in Christ Jesus. This is what was evident in Christ Jesus. Who although He existed in the form of God, He did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. But He emptied Himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it is for this reason God highly exalted on him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what I see here as we close today, I would like to do our invitation a little differently. We've done things differently than we used to do it today. I'd like to do this a little differently. Not just waiting for somebody that may be lost to come and pray to receive Jesus or somebody that may be needing help just to, to come talk with the pastor. I would like us to have two times of prayer. 
And I'm going to invite you to join me. You can certainly pray where you're at. If you want to come up here and pray on your knees, you're more than welcome to do that. But I want us to pray for two things. As we think about a world that has the greatest need for the greatest remedy, I want us to first pray for the lost. I want us to pray for someone that you know or someone in your community, someone that you come into contact with that you just know. It's a great possibility that they're, if they die, they're spending eternity in a place where wrath is reserved for them. A place where God is not there. And so I want us to be of the same mind and heart as Spurgeon said. That let no one go unprayed for. And we're going to take time to do that. And the second, after that, we're going to pray for us. Pray for us in this room to be reminded in every aspect of our life that what Jesus has given us is not something cheap. It's not something to be taken for granted. It's something where He took our place and thus gave us the greatest remedy. And help that awaken something in our worship, in our devotion, and our faithfulness. So as I ask, would you just spend some time praying with me for the first, for the lost that need this Jesus. Lord God, I don't do this enough. Not just praying, but praying for a lost soul. I don't do this enough for my friends. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm intimidated by it. Maybe it's because I think that you're going to ask me to do something, to say something, to love and, and go out at an extraordinary length to, to make you know. I don't know why I don't do this enough. I don't know why this type of prayer only comes up on a Sunday morning worship gathering. The God for my friends, those that have Your wrath abiding on them already in how they're living, and that have wrath reserved for a place that they're going one day. God, I pray for them. Help them see in Me. Help them hear from Me. Help them see in our church. Help them hear from our church that You are the remedy. You are the hope, the healer that this world needs. And God, I'm thankful that we have organizations that seek to live out this mission. Things that we give to. A denomination that, that has a heart for Your Gospel to be shared with the lost. But God, help me not bank on another organization to do my job Help me not depend on another group to do the work that I'm supposed to be doing as your witness. Help us as a church not be people that only give as if you're not calling us to go. Because you're calling us to do both. God, for that member of our family that some of us might even see today across from our dinner table, Lord, we pray for him. We pray for her in their brokenness, in their pain. And however, however much they may have caused us, God, save them. For that friend that we work with, 
in the office or on the assembly line. God, bring up your name and your glory. For that person that's in our classroom, those that we know and those that we may not know so well, we see their face. God, help me speak. Help us speak. Help us not be a silent witness. And God, humble us to the point that we are willing to lay ourselves down to do whatever it takes but sin in order to share your word. In Jesus' name we pray this prayer. Amen. Secondly, we're going to pray for us as a church. How do we deal with this news? And then we're going to have a time of invitation. And should you feel led to respond, should you feel led to talk to someone, to get counsel on the next step to following Christ, I invite you to come see me after this time of prayer and we'll spend time just letting you respond to God in the way that He leads. Lord Jesus, as a church, thank You. God, in my life, thank You. I don't think I say those words enough times. I say them whenever I feel like you've got me out of a jam or whenever I feel like there was a close call or when something just came my way. But God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you every single day for the fact that we wake up every day with an immense, lavished pouring of your grace upon us. That those of us that have chosen to follow you, that have placed our trust in you, thank you that we have a hope and a future for today, that you have changed who we are now and in which the direction we're going in life. You've changed the outcome of our story. You've removed us from being an enemy of God to being a child of God, from being someone distant to being someone that's an heir. And you did it all because you willingly put Jesus in our place. He took the pain for us. He took the punishment. And God, I don't want to forget that. Help my life not be lived in a way that says I'm forgetting that every day. Help us as a church not to be people that go about our own schedules in a way that we take for granted what You willingly and costly gave for us. And God, may that not be just something that I say in a prayer. Maybe it's be something that resonates and, and just echoes throughout every fiber of my life, every detail. It's who I am in my home, who I am in my workplace, who I am in the car, who I am whenever I'm in this office and who I am whenever I'm not. Who we are when we're worshiping You and who we are when we're in our everyday business. To remember, You took our place and yet you overcome God let that do something in our hearts like never before as we respond to you in this time in this day in this moment may it be life changing because you bring the healing where they need it in Jesus name Amen at this time our Worship leaders are going to come up and want to sing a song that's kind of familiar. It's not as old as some hymns, but it's in our hymn book. It's hymn 499.
called Open Our Eyes, Lord. And just as we prayed that prayer, that's what we're doing. We're opening our eyes to see the world around us that needs His remedy and also see our life and be thankful that the remedy has been greatly provided and is still available to the world that needs it. If you need to respond in this time, I'm here at the front. I would love to help you walk through the next step of following Jesus as a disciple, whatever that looks like. You follow as the Lord leads.